All right. All is right in the world when Miranda's doing announcements, right? Yes. Yes. It's what brings people to church. I am all twisted up here. Give me a sec. All right. Good morning, church. How we doing? Awesome. All right. Hey, if you're new... Uh, around here. We're super glad that you're tuning in. Uh, we have people in uh, Oregon and California and uh, Nebraska, Virginia, Texas, obviously Colorado. People tuning in all over the place. So wherever you are, uh, wherever you are in your home or your office or wherever, just we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're tuning in. You are a part of this church uh, even though you're uh, away from us here personally, but we love you, we pray for you, we hope that you're encouraged through the worship, through the message, uh, and super glad that you're tuning in with us. For those of you who have chosen to join us in person, how good does it feel to worship together? Yes? Oh man, it, it feels amazing. Hey, little side note, that, that last song that we sang, that, uh, what do you... What do, you, what do you call that? Where's Alex? Alex wrote whatever that is every morning, every evening, um, and the Holy Spirit part. Alex wrote that and inserted it into the hymn. Uh, and so I, I personally love those lines. Uh, they bring my soul to the Lord. And so uh, if you see Alex and you think that, uh, then let him know. If you hate it, then just keep that to yourself. Um, but I like it. Uh, hey, we're in this series. If you joined us last week, uh, we're in this series called New Creation People. It's a little weird. Uh, it's pretty churchy. And we did that on purpose um, because what we do here matters. What the scriptures tell us to do and, and describes who we are, it matters. It changes everything. And so what we're doing is we're answering the question, who are you? Uh, who are you? And the book of Ephesians gives a very detailed account of who you really are. It helps you understand your identity. It helps you understand who you are in Christ. So if you missed last week, it's on the website, rockcreekchurch.org. You can go back and uh, catch up. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15 through 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open to that. We'll be there in just a second. You can also turn on your phones or your iPads. We have ordered, um, if you've been around Rock Creek for a while, we have horrible internet, uh, and so most of you know that already. We have ordered high-speed internet that's going to allow us to live stream this so that you all who are watching this online, you're a week behind. It's going to allow us to just be one united church, but also to do several other ministry options. But for now, it's pretty cruddy, so just do what you can. So open up a Bible. There's a bunch on the table back there as well, so if you need one of those. So what we're doing is we're using the book of Ephesians as our platform, kind of our foundation to build upon this idea of who are we in Christ? As new creation people, what exactly does that mean? We're allowing the book of Ephesians to be our guide. So Ephesus is where Paul is writing to this church that he loves dearly. At the time of Paul, it's a city of about a quarter million people. So not enormous, but significant in those times. And so for them, it was a big city. It was on a harbor. Uh, you can uh, pull up images. I couldn't find good images. They were all pretty bad. Uh, so you can pull up images on Google on just type in Ephesus in biblical times and, and then you can kind of see that. But it's on this harbor and it was the beginning of the equivalent of their highway system. 
Uh, so take our, which, uh, side note, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I, so we've lived here for five years. I don't understand how there's one interstate in this state. It is mind-boggling me that if 25 dies, we all die. Uh, anyway, side note, but this was their harbor in Ephesus. That was their highway system. That, that was how they moved around the world was in and through Ephesus. That was their kind of idea of the Roman roads. It was a major banking center uh, with the Temple of Artemis. Uh, and so a lot of finance went in and through there, kind of like New York City. Uh, it was one of the great wonders of the world, but it was also a place with an enormous amount of demonism, an enormous amount of religion, if you would, uh, an enormous amount of exploring the divine. It was a place of paganism. It's why the book of Ephesians talks an, an enormous amount about powers because it was trying to help not only those who were following Christ at the time to understand power in, in the right way, but it was also speaking to those who were far from God to understand power because power was something that everyone was searching. How do we tap into this mystical power that's out there? And so Paul's trying to set the record straight. In their times, they talked a lot about principalities and spirits and gods, lower G. And the book of Ephesians speaks to this because these are highly spiritual people. These aren't those who are just doing their own thing. They're actually wanting to engage in those things that talk about spirituality. But they're not God's people. And this, that brings us to this morning. That, that kind of setup helps us understand this morning's passage. So if you would, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? If you're at home, uh, Alex does this, so I figure I can too. If you're at home, you can stand for the reading of God's Word as well. Uh, there's nothing holy about this. It's just a reverence to the Word of God. So starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, listen, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Don't we want that? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Boy, if there's a, uh, if there's a mission statement for church, there it is so that we may know him better. I pray also that your eyes and your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power, notice that, for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above this is gives you comfort especially during election season far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age today but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Man, that the, all week, and I, and I hope you're doing this. I, 
Ephesians is not long. You can read it several times. I'm trying to read it at least once a week. For me, all week long, in comparison to watching the news, this has given me hope (laughs) that all things are under the Lord's feet. What we see, what we experience, going back to school online, parents, trying to figure out what to do with your kids, struggles in workplace, election, political maneuvering and barking at one another on social media, everything is under the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That gives us hope. So Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus. It's a church that he started roughly six to seven years prior to writing this letter. So he has about seven years of relationship with these people that he's writing to. It's in a city. There's a lot of people. There's density and diversity. Because it's a trade route, there's lots of people that are coming and going. If you've ever spent time in L.A. or New York City or Chicago, it's psycho. There's people just going everywhere, and everyone's zoned into what their task is. That's Ephesus. There's a lot going on, lots of cultures, lots of religion, lots of spirituality, lots of complexity, because it is a complex city that Paul chooses to write to. Verse 22, if you look in your Bible, verse 22 is the very first time Paul uses the word church. And when he thinks about church, he doesn't think about what we're doing here today. We do. We think, I'm going to church today. I'm registering for church today. Kind of a new norm, but nevertheless, I'm going to church today. He doesn't think like that. He thinks about the fact that in some divine, mystical, outside of this world way, we are all connected. Now, notice how countercultural that is to Ephesus. In a place where everyone's doing their own thing, thinking their own thing, pursuing their own thing, having their own religion in their own way, what works for me, does that sound familiar to today's times? Paul says, no, 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 no. We're all connected. We all have a relationship under the authority of Christ. And what we do, who we are, matters. And I want to say to you, friends, who you are, what you do matters. It matters not only in your life, but it matters to me as a follower of Jesus. Paul understands that if we're merely just going to show up and read some verses, sing some songs, we used to enjoy a cup of coffee and a bagel, but if we're just going to do those things and enjoy maybe a, a, a potluck where the Pope brings Doritos again, If that's church, then we are greatly missing the power of the church. And this is so impactful for Paul. Last week, we allowed the book of Ephesians to define your identity. You are chosen. You have hope. You have an inheritance. The list goes on in the beginning of chapter 1. Most notably, the idea of you are in Christ. That means you are in forgiveness. You're not in sin. Sin doesn't define you. Forgiveness and grace and mercy defines you. 
And this week, Paul wants to continue to define our identity, and he wants to say to you, you are the church. Now, I want to address something. You might be watching online, or you may even be here today, and you go, well, I usually go to another church. That's great. You're still the church. You and I, even if we go to a different church, we are in relationship. I spent uh, over an hour with another lead pastor here in town just being brothers this week, just talking about life, what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a husband, what, how do we run church, how do we organize in COVID times. We go to different churches. We lead different churches, two sinful men leading churches, but we are together. We are the church. You matter. And in this prayer, literally, our, our passage this morning is just Paul praying. Sometimes, can you imagine if everyone read your prayers? I would be embarrassed about that because a lot of times it takes me a while to get to my point. Thankfully, we serve a patient God. He it never once has he told me, dude, get to the point. He just allows me to kind of get there. Can you imagine if people read your prayers? What would they find? Wants, asks, the same thing, maybe a sentence or two, what would they find? What we find in Paul's prayer is he gives his priority and then he gives three pleads for us. It's a great example. So what I want you to do, if you're taking notes, and we encouraged this last week, bring your Bible, have a set Bible that you're using throughout this entire series, and you can see mine. I've got it highlighted and underlined and circled and crossed and arrows going to different places. I have things written in the margin. This is your manual. Uh, Mimi said uh, last week, if she were to lose her Bible, she'd be in a world of hurt because how many years have you been writing in it? How many? 25 years of taking notes through Bible studies and sermons and, and everything else. That just shows how young Mimi is. <laughs> but she would be lost without it because how do I possibly remember all the things that I've been taught and have been given to me? So feel free, grab a highlighter, grab a notebook, grab a pen, and just write like crazy in this book. So Paul gives us a priority. First, in verse 15, he says, for this reason, the blessing of the first 14 verses. He goes on to tell us in all of these first 14 verses of why it matters that we are in Christ, why it's amazing that we are in Christ. Go back and listen to that message. And then he says, because of how amazing it is to be in Christ, for those reasons, for this reason... The implications of my love, my prayer, Paul says, is that in verse 17, you may know him better. In other words, you have all these blessings, you have all these amazing things available to you at your fingertips if you are in Christ, and for that reason, he wants you to know him better. Friends, do you know God better today than you did a year ago? Do you know God better today than you did last week? One of the amazing things is, regardless of how long you've been walking with God, there's more of Him to know. Hopefully, that's super encouraging to you. It is to me. Uh, the last thing I want is to get to the age blank, fill in the blank, and I know everything there is about know about God. 
I can know him better and not just know of him more, but my relationship can grow. Think about if, if you're married or you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Actually, yes. A couple of weeks ago, I totally lost Tanner and Amy in my ripping. Man, kicked myself all week like, ah, I missed an opportunity. Tanner and Amy, go ahead and stand up. Can we get that on camera? Awesome. There's Tanner and Amy. Uh, yes. So go ahead and hold hands. You were holding hands prior to standing up. <laughs> Tanner and Amy are dating. They are like cute as can be. If you didn't know that, now you do. As the poet once said, if you don't know, now you know. Biggie. So these two... Yeah, when was the last time you went to church and heard Biggie quoted, all right? But these two are in a relationship. They are going to keep getting to know each other every day until they, well, hopefully you don't break up, but you're going to keep getting to know each other. And if you continue, and if you get married, and if you have a family, and if you grow old together, you will continue to get to know each other. That's amazing because right now you're like, oh my gosh, this googly love, like Tanner's amazing. He's going to be more amazing the more you get to know him. And it's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with God. The more you get to know God, you go, man, I thought I knew everything there was to know about God. He's bigger than I ever thought. He's more amazing than I ever gave him credit for. He can perform the craziest miracles. I never thought that could happen. Because we get to know him more. This is Paul, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this is his priority. And friends, this should be your priority. Are you getting to know God more? If you've read this letter and others from Paul, you know that he believes it is possible to know a lot more about God, but also not to know God. You with me? It's possible to do a lot for God, but not know God. It's possible to read about and sing about and serve on behalf of God and not know God. And to be a part of a church that doesn't know God that is checking a box that's going through the motions. And I just want to say to you, life is too short to go through the motions. We have a limited time on this planet, and then we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ if we make the right decision. But it's short. And so this matters to Paul. It's a concern of Paul, and it's a concern for the church today. Do we really know the King of Kings that we sing about? So for Paul, all of this incredible theology that he covered in the first 14 verses, adoption, chosen, inheritance, forgiveness, etc., all of those things are a gateway to knowing him better. 
They're not independent of themselves. Notice a reoccurring theme here. You're not independent growing and living in Ephesus. We're all connected. And all of these blessings are not interdependent. They're all connected as a gateway so that you can know your Lord and Savior more. Tomorrow. And the next day. And next Sunday. And then what does that do? That creates a heart of worship that you cannot keep contained. That creates a passion, an energy, a commitment to God and his church and what he's doing all around the world that you can't stuff down and compartmentalize because you know the God of the universe more and more. Harold Honer writes the following. He says this, Hence, it is not facts about God that are most important, but knowing him personally and intimately one can know many facts about the leader of a nation to the news media, but that is quite different from, knowing, from personally knowing that leader as his or her family does. Thus, one acquires this knowledge of God not only by facts from the Bible, but by the Holy Spirit's giving insight and disclosure in the knowledge of God himself. You know what that means? Every time you do a Bible study, it's not just about the facts. It is about the facts. It is knowing your Bible, but it doesn't stop there. It's you obtain this so that you can know God more. The Bible study isn't the end. It's a means. It's a means to the end, and that is that you would have a more intimate, more passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing in today's times. So this is Paul's priority, that followers of Christ, we might come to know him more and more. Write that on the top of the chapter. Paul specifies three things that he wants the Ephesians to know in their innermost being. Three pleads, three spiritual realities that form the core of that Christian. So I want to look at each one of these uh, briefly, and they're all found uh, in, in our passage. Number one, first, Paul wanted the Ephesians to know the hope of God's calling. In other words, he wants you, he wants the church in Ephesus, he wants those who are just listening that are maybe passerbys to know there's not just a hope in Jesus Christ, there's a hope in your calling. You see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins and say it's finished, just say the prayer and you're good to go. Jesus walked the land and said, follow me. I'm going to call you to great things. I'm going to speak and work through you. So I ask you this morning, what is your calling? It has been said the two greatest uh, questions that need to be answered uh, or events that take place in your life is when you were born and when you realize why you were born. Why were you born? And, and now certainly we wear a ton of hats. Lori Russo is an incredible mom. She's an incredible wife. But she also cares for countless people as the hands and feet of Jesus. That's part of Lori's calling. Is it partially personality? Of course. But if you spend any time around Lori, you know that's her call. 
That's one of the reasons God placed Lori on this planet, is to be a shepherd and caregiver to those who are in great need. And so verse 18 tells us this. We tend to think of a calling in individual terms, referring to someone's ministry position like, oh, they're like Hunter is called to run that camera. That's Hunter. But Hunter's calling is more than that. A couple of years ago, we baptized Hunter in our horse trough right here. God has a calling on Hunter's life. It's not individual. It's part of something bigger that God is doing in his church. Uh, Commentator John Stott, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he's one of my favorites. He says this, God called us to Christ and to holiness, to freedom and peace, to suffering and glory. More simply... It was a call to an altogether new life. In other words, new creation people. He called us to a new life in which we know, love, and obey and serve Christ, enjoying fellowship with Him and with each other and look beyond our present sufferings to the glory which one day will be revealed. We are connected. Your bad day isn't just your bad day. Your victory isn't just your victory. That's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be able to speak into each other's lives. Speak truth. Speak hope. Speak love. Cry together. Laugh together. Have joy together. Because we are connected. John Piper says this, pastor and author. Hope is the birthplace of Christian self-sacrificing love. That's because we just let God take care of us and aren't preoccupied with having to work to take care of ourselves. We say, Lord, I just want to be there for other people tomorrow because you're going to be there for me. Isn't that powerful? Can you imagine if we all woke up and said, Lord, I don't care about me. I know you're going to take care of me. I just want to be there for other people today. Can you imagine what would happen to our nation? Can you imagine what would happen to our world? Can you imagine what the church would be? We would no longer be known as hypocrites and those who point fingers and judge. We would be known as something the world can't live without. That's you. That's you. And it's only you because God loves you. He's crazy about you. Not puppy love. Authentic authentic love that cannot even be defined. You can't even define how much God loves you. It's impossible. And all of that represented and defined by the cross, defined by the gospel. The word hope in ordinary English vocabulary is generally uh, distinguished from certainty. 
In other words, we might say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it happens. You with me? That's how we generally refer to hope. But when we read the word hope in the Bible, like in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on the grace. Set your hope on the grace. Don't set it on anything else. Don't set it on a relationship. Don't set it on a job. Don't set it on how much money you've saved or a home improvement project or, or what you're going to do for vacation next year. Set your hope on grace. Because grace won't ever crack. Grace won't be swept away by the waves of culture and what happens in this world. Grace has withstood the test of time that the Bible says was the plan even before God formed the world. Grace is our hope. Grace is our foundation. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it happens. It's that absolutely not what Christian hope means. So I want to ask you, what's your hope in? What's your hope for today? What's your hope for tomorrow? What's your hope for your kids? What's your hope for your relationships? What's your hope for the church? Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen and you put your trust in that promise. Now, you might say, well, that's hard, Brian. I get it. I think of Noah. God says, put your trust in me. I want you to build the ark. There's no water anywhere near the ark. People are mocking, ostracizing, criticizing, losing relationships. Noah had to put his faith and trust in the promise of God. Sandy and I went through years of infertility. Our hope was not in the doctors or the medicine. When I was a police officer at the time, uh, in between calls, I would run home as quickly as I could, sometimes lights, but get home as, as soon as I could, and I'd, some of you got that, and I would have to give her a shot in the stomach, and we'll hope it works. That, well, well, let's hope it works. But our hope quickly changed of, hey, this is modern medicine. We'll see what it takes. But we know without a doubt God is the giver and the sustainer of life. That was our hope. And it is not fun giving shots to other people. So my hope was that this would end quickly. And we did. And we have four kids It's the living hope that changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see the world. It changes our identity as new created people, our hope in our calling. What are you called to do? Who are you called to be? If you need help, read Ephesians. If you want a few answers, read Ephesians. 
because it's clear what your hope and your call is. Number two, second, Paul wanted the Ephesians to know the riches of the glory of God's inheritance, verse 18. This inheritance includes all that God has given us in salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've already seen in the last section that, that the believer puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ and we receive a down payment of what that inheritance is ultimately going to be by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The counselor, the caregiver, the helper, the encourager, the lover through the Holy Spirit, but it's only a down payment. The full payment will be lavished upon us when we see Christ face to face. I think about our dear Irv. If you're new to Rock Creek, uh, we had uh, a gentleman attend our church in his 90s and he dreamed of seeing Jesus face to face and his bride that had passed a long time ago. And right before COVID, thankfully, uh, he passed. And I think about him seeing Jesus face to face and receiving his full inheritance. Can you imagine what they're doing right now? <laughs> they're not grocery shopping. They're not doing dishes. They're certainly not doing online school. God bless them. I don't know what they're doing, but man, the full inheritance is when we see Jesus face to face in the second coming. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 describes this. It says, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Angie and Nathan. Mike and Kelly, Will and Hannah, Grace and Josh. The list goes on. Listen, you have an inheritance waiting in heaven for you. The reason why I say your name is it's personal. This isn't a 30,000 foot view of what the Bible teaches. This is a very personal way that Alex is going to take his last breath one day on earth and then he's going to stand before his Lord who's going to embrace him and he will receive that inheritance. For Christians, this is the promise. This is the hope of sharing in a community with God forever that sustains throughout whatever trials we are forced to deal with during these times. You see, we set our sights on what's coming, not on what is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed by day. Is that true of you? Is your inner person, is your inner self being renewed every day? It's possible. Yes, during COVID. For this light, momentarily, affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friends, this is our hope. This is the plea of Paul. 
you, fellow believers, you, fellow men and women and children who are pursuing Jesus Christ, know that there is an inheritance waiting for you. Set your sights on what is coming. There is hope. But this inheritance is promised, but it's not to everyone. The inheritance of life with God is reserved for those who hear the truth according to the Scriptures. Believe in Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. In short, those who are in Christ. The inheritance is reserved for those who are in Christ. The benefits of the inheritance in Christ begin when a person accepts Jesus as the Son of God and becomes their Lord. This goes back to knowing about God but not knowing no God. Is He your Lord? The Holy Spirit is granted to that person as a down payment. It's a taste of what's to come. When we worship together and Alex and the team lead us and you, you hear the whole church rising up to sing, it's just a taste. It's just a glimpse of what is to come. Finally, third, Paul wanted the Ephesians to know the surpassing greatness of God's power. I could do months on this topic. God's abilities are on a completely different plane than what we operate on. <laughs> it's not even of this world. It is so powerful. His unimaginable power brings life from death. That's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll get to that next week. God's unimaginable power creates faith from disbelief. That's in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And a good will and works from those who formerly walked in wickedness. That's chapter 2, verse 10. We're going to hit all that next week. That's just a little teaser. And as Paul will explain in Ephesians chapter 1, 20 through 23, the last part of our passage this morning, God's power is able to accomplish so much in our lives. Because the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I. It's that power that seated a dead man and raised him from the dead and then seated him at the right hand. The ultimate authority position. Paul pleads in his prayer that those who are in Christ would live a life that's in light of and further know the surpassing power of God's greatness. And he finishes his prayer giving us evidence as such. And as we tap into this power, it has the potential to radically transform lives. It has the power to take care of a family member who you're nowhere near and you ask for God's power to rest on them. I face that today. My daughter's at college. It's my first kid. It's my first kid at college. I have moments where Sandy and I are like, yes, it's cleaner. There's more hot water. There's not stuff everywhere. And then there's moments of pleading for God's power to rest on her, to make wise decisions, to choose friends wisely, to take care of her anxiety, to take care of her soul. And I can trust God's power to do more than I could do in person. It's this power, according to Paul, that was demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. 
We're going to worship with the team. We're going to sing in just a moment. And you're going to read words on the screen. You're going to hear a melody on the guitar and the piano. You're going to hear Tanner. This is Tanner, by the way, if you didn't get to see one of the lovebirds. <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to tap into this. And I want you to think about the strangeness of this claim that he raised Christ from the dead. Do me a favor. Even if you're at home, humor me. Just close your eyes for just a moment. Stop and think about the strangeness of this claim. Having been beaten and tortured, bound, crowned with thorns, unfairly tried, nailed to a cross, suspended in the air, unable to breathe, all by himself, and finally stabbed in his side, Jesus of Nazareth was tightly packed like a mummy like wrappings, and then placed into a tomb, dead. Yet a few days later, he stepped out of the tomb, restored to not only perfect health, but far surpassing his previous mortality with a glorified, resurrected body. Friends, that is what's coming for you and for me. That's what it means when we're told there will be no more tears, there will be no more illness, no more bad phone calls in the middle of the night, no more funerals, no more mental health problems. It will be fully restored to a glorified, resurrected body. And second, God demonstrated his surpassing power when he seated Christ at his right hand. 40 days after being miraculously raised from the dead, the resurrection, the resurrected Messiah had completed his work. And as the disciples looked on, God exalted him to the highest place of honor in the universe. Finally, God demonstrated this surpassing power when he put all things under the subjection of Christ. Being at the Father's right hand means more than the restoration of the position of glory that Christ had during his incarnation. You want to know power? Christ is not only exalted above the earthly rulers, but is also seated above the heavenly powers, both the angelic and the demonic. Bow before the King of Kings. So friends, as we get ready to worship, what causes us to sing? What causes us to raise hands? What causes us to cry? What causes us to kneel down at your chair? What causes us to throw caution to the wind and worship the God of all creation? It's this. It's the truth of the scriptures. And my prayer as your pastor is that you would continue to know the surpassing love of Jesus and that you would continue to know him more and more in spirit and in truth. That's church. You have hope. And if you have struggles, 
if you have sin, if you have things you hate about yourself, there is hope. There is redemption. There is God entering into your life to change and make new once again. Your marriage struggling, your relationship struggling, your finance struggling, your work position struggling. You are under the God of all creation. And all the world kneels before him. They might not know it, but they do. Let's pray together. So God, our prayer as we get ready to worship, <laughs> that, that we would look even to our sermon series logo and we see skulls. It's death. And then we see creation that is life. This is what you do. You are still in the saving business. You are still making all things new. You are still generating worship. You are still creating and empowering and growing your church. You are still reaching people who are far from you and bringing them into a relationship, verse 17, that we might know you more. So praise you, praise you, praise you. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. We praise you. So as we get ready to sing, would you, Holy Spirit, empower us? Cause our eyes to close and to focus on our personal relationship with you. And then would you restore and strengthen that relationship that allows a hymn of praise to be released from our mouths. That we would humbly submit and kneel before you, King of kings, Lord of lords, all authority. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father who will come again to judge the living and the dead and we will experience a new heaven and a new earth and a new body and a new way of a relationship with you to receive our full inheritance. Man, that's so much better hope than the news. It's in that name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you please stand and let's worship together.